Father, we love you and thank you. We're passionate about you. We love that we can be real and that we can come to you with our sin and that you still love us and that you forgive us and that you allow us to be a part of your kingdom. Lord, I pray for the kids that go downstairs. I pray that they would just see you and they would feel that and they would understand what it's like to have a passion for you. I pray for the leaders and just ask that you would give them the words that they need. Allow them to speak boldly in your name. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Kids can be dismissed. thought I was going to stand up here and tell you guys that some of you need to move to first service so we'd have room, but when the kids leave, we have plenty of room, which is a good thing. So we're in week four of this relational series, and this week we're talking about a relationship with the church, and I have to be honest with you, this is the sermon that I have a passion for. I want the church to love one another. I want to, have, I want to have a desire for Jesus, and that desire pours out to anyone who will listen. That we understand this mercy that God has given us, and it pours out of us. And so in this series, we started with God because He is the foundation of everything. We cannot really have a relationship, and we understand what a right relationship with Him is. This right understanding. I saw a post the other day about God being a narcissist. He has a personality disorder, according to this post. They were complaining that God has a grandiose need for admiration and a lack of empathy. One of the exact quotes was, There is no one more grandiose, egotistical, or insecure than the biblical God. In his mind, the universe exists to worship him. And then this author author uses Romans 11.36 to make his argument. This is what it says. For from Him and through Him and to Him all things, to Him be glory forever. Amen. You see, if God needs a relationship with us, then this may be a true statement. But He does not need us. I've been watching The Chosen lately, and I know I've been talking about it a lot, but it's made an impact in my life. In Thursday night, I saw Jesus as he's calling Simon the Zealot. And he's this military guy. He's been training to be this elite fighter so he can help the Messiah overthrow the Romans when he comes into power. And I love the scene. Jesus walks up to him. He asks him for his knife, and he he takes the knife, and he looks at it. And then he tosses it into the river. And he looks at the guy, and he says, I don't need you. I want you. And think about that. The God that created everything doesn't need us one bit, but He wants us. And that should drive something inside of us. You see, the definition of narcissism is somebody with self-involvement to the degree that it makes a person ignore the needs of those around them. That is the exact opposite of what God does. He gave us life. And in that, He also gives us the free will to love Him 
or to hate him like this author does. Of anybody who exists, God is the one who could demand worship. But he does not demand it. We freely give it. The benefit is ours. And we are free from narcissism because of God's grace in our life. God did not create us to fill a void that He needed in His. He created us so that we could have life. We're the ones that need a relationship with Him. Or else we start to write crazy things like God being a narcissist. When we understand how God works, it frees us up to have a relationship with Him and a relationship with the church. It frees us up to not be about ourselves, but to be about something greater. It frees us up to truly love one another and work together for a purpose. Romans 12 teaches us to allow God to work in our lives so we can understand the beauty of what a true relationship looks like. And so Christ is the head and we are His body. We understand that. We understand that the church is is the people that make it up. Those that have given their life to Jesus. But often we live like the church is a building and we just go there on a Sunday. So my question for us today is how do we be a relational church? Think about it. How do we be a church that does not turn people off but invites people to know God? The church must be countercultural and do it in a way that shows humility, demonstrates unity, embraces uniqueness, and uses the gifts God has provided. So, number one, the church is countercultural. This word counter means to speak or act in opposition to something. Culture means result, relating to ideas, customs, and social behaviors of a society. How do I speak against the ways of the world, but do it in a way that shows humility? How do we stand united as a church without making others feel like they're left out? How are we united, but yet our uniqueness shows in our relationship with God and with others? Paul tells us in Romans 12.1, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, and we have to stop there. He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. He's telling us how we should live together in order to carry out God's plan for the church. The first part of being countercultural is we have to understand that God expects His church to act a certain way. And He expects the world to act a certain way. But I'm telling you, He does not expect us to segregate ourselves from the world. John 17, 15 Jesus is praying for His disciples and He says this, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. We must rely on our relationship with Jesus, our relationship with the Spirit, in order to have a relationship with others as we live counterculturally in this world. Before Jesus, we were lost We were already condemned. We did not need a church to condemn us. We needed a church to help save us. I believe that's this church. You see, but when we condemn people or ostracize them, it really just makes us look like a bunch of jerks. How are we ever to reach people if we're a bunch of jerks? That doesn't help us spread or live out the gospel. 
I've yet to see a jerk make an impact in somebody's life. Lifeway did a research for young adults aged 23 to 30. They asked them why they stopped attending church. 66% of them said church members seem divisive, judgmental, or hypocritical. Well, that's a lot, and it's hard to hear. And we know that some of it's fair, but, but some of it's not fair. Some people are going to see the church this way. Whether we are loving or hating, but my challenge is us for not to just be haters and not to be jerks, but to be loving to other people. So if they're going to hate us, they're going to hate us because we're genuine and because we love them. Not because we're a jerk and condemn them. We saw it with Jesus. I mean, Jesus was loved by others and hated by some, right? I mean, the Pharisees. Some of them hated Him, but not Nicodemus. He loved Him. Jesus is hanging on the cross. There's two thieves. One hates Him and one loves Him. Why? Well, the next part of Romans 12.1 describes it. By the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. There's an element where the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to understand the Gospel. We have to accept it. If we are going to be a counter-cultural church, we have to realize that we are only saved by God's mercy. We need to not look at people as the enemy, but future allies who have yet to give their life to God. We are not special on our own account. We are special because of Christ's account. Often I see in the church this misunderstanding of what countercultural means. We think it needs means separation, uh, Christian schools, Christian sports. I mean, what's next? Christian grocery stores? I don't know, man. We seem to segregate ourselves from everybody. I'm telling you that we can't have a relationship with somebody. We can never bring somebody to Christ unless we're with them. But we have to have a church body like this around us as we do it. So let me explain. My buddy Jackson, he's been sober for over 10 years. Now every time I mention Jackson's name, they put a tally in the back. <laughs> They're putting one right now. They also put a tally there every time I say my wife is smoking hot. <laughs> yeah, another tally. But I don't care. Because my buddy Jackson means so much to me. It means so much to me to see how he loves Jesus and how that pours out to anybody that will listen. Maybe even some that won't. But he'll go into a bar. A guy that used to be an alcoholic will go into a bar and he will meet somebody at their needs and he will share with them how Jesus has transformed them. And it's real. And it changes people's lives. He demonstrates God's mercy while reaching these people with what they need, and that is Jesus. And I believe that He's not the only one. I believe all of us can go into all situations that we can share about what Jesus has done to us, how He has transformed our lives. And I believe that our story, every one of your stories will change somebody's life. You just have to be willing to share it. Is that who you are? 
You see, I believe that we should not shy away from the difficult moments. I believe that God calls us to be in the schools, in the workforce. I believe that God calls us to be out in this world and to be bold in Jesus Christ. And so that's our challenge for today. Are we willing to speak the good news? Are we willing to preach it? Because if nobody's there to listen, then what good is the good news? Paul tells us in Romans 10, 14-15, How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. We are all saved by God's mercy. And God sent someone to preach to each and every one of us. I want that to be this type of church. FBC to be a church that boldly preaches about Jesus. But does it in a way that is loving and respectful. We need to love them to Jesus. There is no way that we can argue them to Jesus or condemn them to Jesus. There's not a chance. Nobody responds to that. 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. We should be hated because we strive to love others and to do good in this world, not because we're a bunch of jerks. Now that doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. There is a certain standard of life that God has called us to live by. It does not mean that I accept anger or alcoholism or sexual sins or whatever sin you're dealing with right now. No. It means I find grace for all. Every one of us who is dealing with sin, including myself and yourself. You see, but Jesus doesn't leave us in our sin. Jesus called the greedy tax collector in Matthew... He called the haughty Peter. He called the zealot Simon. He called the bad-tempered sons of thunder, James and John. But he did not leave them there. What changed these men? Their relationship with Jesus. The Holy Spirit working in them. They did not fear the world. They changed it. Romans 12.1 To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. These men lived out Romans 12.1, but not without Jesus. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. They did not leave the world but they were made new to be able to reach it. Think about a butterfly. The transformation is complete metamorphosis. From the outside, nothing appears to be happening, but inside is something completely different. The caterpillar dissolves into a soup-like substance using enzymes triggered by hormones. Its tissues, limbs, organs, and discs then begin changing. The discs move into their correct position, and the caterpillar starts to take on a new shape, as a butterfly. 
It sprouts new colors, wings, long legs, and antennas. Better suited to be a butterfly than the mouth changes to a chewing one instead of one that sips nectar. The mouth changes from a chewing one rather than one that sips nectar. This metamorphosis takes place over a few weeks. The caterpillar transforms into a completely new looking insect. That's what happens when God transforms us. We were one thing. We were a caterpillar. And now we are a beautiful butterfly. We are beautiful because of who Jesus is. And we did nothing to do it, right? He did the transformation. He's the one that changed that caterpillar into a butterfly. Do we allow Him to do it? You see, He's the one. We should always leave us humble. That's number two. The church is humble. Verse three, Romans 12. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Salvation is grace. We did not deserve it. So we definitely should not think that we are special because of it. We are special because of Jesus. But in that, it does not mean that we look down on ourselves. Humility is, is not cutting oneself down, but it, seeing ourselves exactly how Jesus sees you. A sinner saved by grace. We were condemned and through His mercy saved. But as I look at the church, we often struggle living in this condemnation. Martin Luther did. He confessed sin because of the fright about God's judgment. He lived in daily fear of the immediate judgment on God on his life. He said on one occasion, if I could believe that God was not angry with me, I would stand on my head with joy. He became more distressed with the enormity of his sins and his inability to satisfy a righteous God. He confessed every sin. Luther hated sin. In fact, because of his obsession, Luther was even deemed crazy. Went so far to even cause kidney and gallstones due to his anxiety. But then he discovered grace. The same grace that we get to discover. Do we live in God's grace or do we live in condemnation? Because to live in condemnation is like an alcoholic who just won the lottery, who could have anything he wanted in this world, but he wastes it on the alcohol that is killing him. It is healthy to recognize our sins. It is healthy to repent from them. But it is not healthy to live in them. That's not humility at all. When we constantly worry about ourselves and our sin, we don't have time for anybody else. And when we don't have time for relationships, we grow apart. We naturally divide. But when you are humble and you truly see God's grace, that grace should flow out of us. And we should be an example to this world as we remain united as a church body. That's number three. The church is united. Romans 12, 4 and 5. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function, so we, though many, as one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. God uses each one of us to help one another. If I have an itch on my neck, a brain sends a signal to my hand to scratch it. 
But in the opposite way, if I'm trying to catch a football or a baseball, my neck has to move so I can see the ball to catch it with my hands. Everything works together. As a church, as the church body, we must be different. We must care about relationships more than our own success and power. We should care about Jesus more than anything. A few years back, this church split. In fact, it's split a few times over the years. And I know it's hard to talk about. But we are no longer that church. We are a church united with one mission. And that is to make the name of Jesus known in this community. Are you on board? You see, we are to glorify God in Douglas and throughout the world. Guys, I've yet to watch a murder mystery. And my dad, he watches a lot of them. And I've never seen a toe that wasn't attached to a body. And somebody's like, man, this toe is really lucky to get away from that terrible body. It doesn't happen. That toe is stinky and that toe is dead. And that's what happens to us if we are not in a church body that's surrounding us. And I understand we can be saved without the church. But if God made the primary vessel for sharing about His Gospel to church, why would we ever want to be disconnected from it? The only reason is the church is not acting like Jesus. When we are only individuals, but not individual members of one another, which ties us into being unique. Number four, Romans 12.6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. Our differences are God's grace. How boring would this world be if every person was the same, looked the same, thought the same, dressed the same? What if every animal was the same? The world would be an awful place if every animal was my dog, or uh, uh, whatever his name is, Barra. Guys, there would be no shoe that is safe and every countertop in the world would be surfed. But everything is different. There are so many millions of different animals that we get to see. Millions of different people. Every single person in this room is unique. United by Jesus. Jesus is what unites us. This world would be a tough place if everybody in here was like you. It would be a really tough place if everybody in here was like me and my wife is having a nightmare right now. (laughs) Imagine if the world was only a mouth. There would be no reason to talk. Imagine if the world was only an ear. There would be nothing to hear. The church needs different people working together to bring God's glory to everyone who is willing to listen. That's what I ask of you today. To trust in Jesus because Jesus is what unites uniqueness. This Chosen series that I've been watching really made me think about disciples in a different way. And I understand that it takes liberty, but they're holding on to this uniqueness in the individuals, these disciples. We get to see how different Peter, Matthew, Thomas, and Simon the Zealot are. Even James and John. It has really made me understand that Jesus calls uniqueness. 
And He uses each individual to carry out tasks for one another because it matures and grows each and every one of us in our relationships. Matthew was called to write because of his attention to detail. Peter was called to trust in God and Jesus transforms his haughtiness into a boldness that leads the church. We see the glory of Christ when Thomas, who is called the doubter because he needed to see the risen Jesus, recognizes who Jesus is and calls Him Lord in John 20, 28. Did you know the church history tells us Thomas died because a Hindu priest murdered him? Because he was sharing the Gospel and people were responding in India. God, He sent these men out to different places, used their gifts to reach different people. Every one of us has a different story, a different gift. And this series is about discovering your story. How can God use you? I can promise you that I never want to show up in front of Jesus and tell Him that I wasted the gifts that He has given me. And I especially do not want to show up in front of Jesus and my gifts cause division in the church. So that's number five. The church is gifted. God in His infinite love, His infinite love for the Trinity poured out to us He created us, but He didn't stop there. He gave us purpose and love. He gifted us. Romans 12, 6-8 If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in His teaching, the one who exhorts in His exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. I know there are other gifts, but let's look at these for just a little bit. I truly believe that every one of us in here should have at least one of these. And Paul begins by saying those with the gift of prophecy should use it in proportion to their faith. In other words, proclaiming a prophecy from God to other members of the church is an action that requires faith and an understanding the message has been given by God. We often think that prophecy means that God has given me a revelation for the future, and it might. But it must not go against the Word. If we truly have the gift of prophecy, you have this filter checking everything you say against Scripture. And when you speak, your goal is to help people see Jesus, His truth, and His love. Even when you have something difficult to say. Is it done with with love? Is it done with a right heart? Is it done with restoration and relationship? Is it done with an idea of serving others? Because you cannot prophesy unless you are serving. Every act of speaking, every moment of kindness, every hard word said in love must be done with a servant's heart. And some of us are better at this than others. A true servant does it regardless of who is watching. A true servant serves even when it's difficult. A true servant loves to serve because they love serving Jesus' people. And they love seeing Him glorified. And honestly, I understand that serving can be overwhelming. But is Jesus not worth being overwhelmed? I believe serving is the training wheels for all these gifts. And if we stop serving, we will lose our connection to God's will and we will lose connection to His gifts. Until you learn to serve, 
Until you learn to listen, you will never be able to teach. A teacher wants to point every act to Jesus. Jesus is the focus. Do we make the focus ourselves or do we make the focus Jesus? And teaching's not easy. The Bible tells us you should not be taken lightly. James 3.1 Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. That is some serious language. Language that we should hold on to. Have you spent time learning? Have you spent time in the Word, of studying, praying, loving others? It takes those time, those, those, those moments to be able to teach. And if you haven't done that, maybe you shouldn't. But I can tell you, as I look at the Bible, I have yet to see a verse that says not many of you should exhort. Exhortation is somebody who strongly encourages someone in their faith. All of us should be doing this. We should all be trying to get better at it. And even though some people are uniquely gifted at it, like a Susan Wortham or a Candy Ezekiel, the Cindy Campbells of the world, you see, it's pretty tough for a church to divide when everyone is encouraging people. Prophecy, serving, teaching are all part of exhortation. But I'm telling you, the most simple way that you can do it and the way that feels the most heartfelt is a simple card. This church exhorts me often. But my challenge is that we have this exhortation for each other that we encourage one another. Can you imagine a church where everybody feels valued and wanted because they are? That value will overflow to these relationships outside the church. And I don't want a church of 300 or 400 or 500 people. I know that Pastor Bill doesn't just want a church of 300 or 400 or 500 people. We want a church of that number that are disciples, that are sharing about Jesus Christ, that have been transformed by the Word and has done something in their heart. And that's what I see as I look out at FBC. You see, God, He gave us gifts. He was so generous in the gifts that He gave us. We need to be generous in return. See, this church is not worried about money. We have plenty of money. At least money to make the everyday payments, to pay the everyday bills. It's no problem whatsoever. But as I look out, I see a church that is so generous because of what God has done. And not just money. Right? With our hearts, with our time, with everything that we do. We reach out to the people in this world. Do you look at every resource that you have as an obligation to God to share and to bring people to this saving grace and this knowledge of who Jesus is? Because that's the type of church that the leaders in this place have asked for. That's the type of church that the people that love Jesus want. Guys, are we the type of church that is so generous that we can plant church? Are we the type of church that is so generous that we can build orphanages? Are we the type of church that we can go anywhere and we can share with anybody about what Jesus has done, this generosity that He has given us? Because when Jesus is doing something in you, there should be a heart of generosity. Is that us? 
I believe that it is. The leaders of this church believe that it is. And the leaders of this church, they do it with zeal. They have a passion to see this love for Jesus flow out to this community and to see God's name glorified. To see this church defined by Jesus. Jesus is the head. Every one of us is blessed to have God's mercy. And we started this series looking at mercy. And we're going to finish it that way. You see, when I was writing about mercy, the song, My Story by Big Daddy Weave came on. The exact part where he talks about mercy. You know, I want to end with the words from the song. It says this, If I told you my story, would you hear hope that wouldn't let go? And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin. Of when justice was served and where mercy wins. Of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of Him. If I told you my story, you would hear victory. Victory over the enemy. And if I told you my story, you would hear freedom that is won for me. And if I told you my story, you would hear life overcome the grave. And if I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin. My prayer for this church is the ifs become wins. My prayer is that you would take the mercy of God that He has given you and that you would build relationships with cheerfulness because you have shown, been shown great mercy. And here's the deal. It starts by just being willing to share your story. Being willing to build up relationships. One person at a time. Let's pray. Father, I love you and thank you. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you for your grace. I thank you, Lord, that you have given us gifts. Gifts that allow us to make your name known. To glorify you in everything that we do. Lord, I pray that you would work in us. That you would work through us. And that we would continually direct your love and your, and your mercy to others. That we would be a church that is a forgiving church. A loving church. That we would be a church that stands united because you love us and care for us, and have demonstrated it to us. Lord, I pray for the people in this room, and I pray that you would just continually comfort them and to give them the boldness that comes from a relationship with you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.